Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the sweet, sweet sounds of Four Score and Seven Podcasters. This is Mr. DeCosmo. I'm here today with Miss Turner, Mr. Kellett, Miss Braun, Miss Moulton. We have a special guest, Miss Brittany Burns, and Mr. McKay. Uh, last time we were here, we spoke a lot about George Washington. We're going to switch it up this time and go into a Thanksgiving episode. We're going to discuss a bunch of foods, the history of the foods of Thanksgiving. That'll be very different than probably what you're used to. And we'll move on to some of the actual history. Uh, what did Thanksgiving look like years ago and how has it transformed into the delicious holiday we know today? Thanks, Mr. DeCosmo. I don't know about all of you folks, but Thanksgiving is my number one favorite holiday any consensus about that around the room? How are we feeling about Thanksgiving? Absolutely. Favorite holiday. It's the best. Love the food. Love the family time. I like 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> I can't top that, Mr. DeCosmo. I would have said July 4th, too. Air nux, man. Air nux. Well, let's talk a little bit about the first Thanksgiving. You know, we all, I think many of us learn about this in elementary school, but it's, it's quite likely that what we learn isn't exactly the most accurate history at that particular level. And as we go throughout school, we may kind of get a little bit more details, a little bit more context. The origin story of Thanksgiving goes back to 1621 in Pilgrim, Massachusetts. And really what this was was this was a celebration of— Plymouth, Massachusetts. Did I say Pilgrim, Massachusetts? <laughs> you did. <laughs> The Pilgrims were at Plymouth, Massachusetts, although they weren't always known as Pilgrims at the time. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Um, and uh, this was, I guess, a celebration of a successful harvest in 1621. Um, they had uh, had a pretty rough go of it uh, when they first came over, and they went out and they were actually hunting uh, and shooting shooting their weapons and, and uh, a bunch of uh, Native Americans who they'd been kind of working with a little bit, the Wampanoag tribes, came over and was heard the gunfire and what was going on, and uh, they kind of uh, agreed that um, they would work together to try to um, gather um, both harvest as well as game for a, a celebratory meal. And so I know that some of us have done research about who was at the first Thanksgiving and what was on the menu, and some of those things may surprise us. Yeah, I think it's worth noting um, that the first Thanksgiving, it was a celebration, and it's interesting to look back and think why were they so into celebrating and if you know the history behind it it's because the previous entire year had been a disaster for the pilgrims they showed up um in plymouth in i think it was late october or early november so of course none of your crops are going to be planted you won't have a harvest there was a massive casualty rate like i think over half of the original pilgrims died so when that spring came, it was their big chance to stock up some food and actually stop starving. So there was massive cause for celebration in the first Thanksgiving. Who was not there? The ladies were not there, Mr. Kellett. Why not? Most of them were dead. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> or on the boat. So many of them stayed on the boat during that first year while the men built houses for the women and for their families. And because they were in such poor conditions on the boat, many of them died there on the boat. So five were left after after that first year. One of them died shortly after that. And then there were four women left to raise 50 children. So one can imagine that, you know, when we're talking about Thanksgiving as a celebration, I'm not sure if the mood was really celebratory, right? Um, and we should kind of keep that in mind, that, that that has evolved over time. 
What was on the menu? Venison. Still, still a popular uh, search item in West Virginia today for um, Thanksgiving meals. It was a conglomerate. It was, uh, you know, not all the foods that we have today, the foods that would have been on the menu during that time are foods that are local to the area. One thing that I, I was surprised to learn where there were tons of clams, oysters and hard shell clams, things of the like, uh, on the menu because we're in New England. There's clams all over the place. There was also an overpopulation of pigeons. Mm. So <laughs> delicious, right? Um, if there was um, some kind of bird served, it probably wasn't turkey. It most likely was pigeon. Or possibly goose, another plentiful bird at the time. So how, I don't know if anybody knows, how did turkey become, I mean, there may have been turkey. Let's put that out there. I mean, there was turkey. We're not sure. Um uh, but there may have been turkey. But how did turkey become the centerpiece? If it was at the first Thanksgiving, it wasn't the centerpiece of the meal. Uh, how would it have become what it is today, which is everything revolves around turkey, for better or for worse. It's actually not one of my favorite meals, but Thanksgiving I, uh, I still associate with it. So this is one of my favorite stories. It actually comes from a magazine editor um, that – published a story written or edited by Sarah um, Hale, and she kind of wrote these like romanticized stories about American history and other things. But in 1827, there was a passage from her novel that featured a roasted turkey at the head of a Thanksgiving table. And so that was kind of one of the first popularized versions of a turkey. It's amazing the impact that the written word can have on changing cultural traditions and cultural norms. Speaking of cultural norms, um, I found that the New York Times put together a map that um, looked at all of the different Thanksgiving dishes that were Googled in the various states. Um, And it's clear that favorite dishes are regional, that there are different things that people eat on uh, their Thanksgiving holidays that are based on their um, regional affiliations. And some of those things are, are quite interesting. Now, Massachusetts, um, they listed the top 10 Google searches for each state. In Massachusetts, five of the top 10 searches were for squash dishes. So we love, we love our squash. Um, the reporter even suggested that we should call ourselves Squash-achusets. <laughs> um, but some of the other ones are very, very interesting as well. How about the Snickers salad, Miss Braun? What is that like? I believe the Snickers salad is a combination of Snickers bars, apples, and marshmallows. What is Sounds it like about a- North Dakota and Nebraska, which I'm seeing on the map, is a place? <laughs> are, they, are they really fond of Snickers? Is that a, pl- a big uh, um, Mars M M&M and M company location? Oh, I don't know. Sure maybe that. maybe that's where um, the company is based, or they just really like a Snickers bar, so they decided we need salad. I'm going to make it a Snickers salad. My personal favorite is the top dish in Colorado, where I come from, Um, Wyoming, yep, Idaho, and Nevada, and it is frog eye salad, which for the record, I have never heard of before, but it apparently is a pasta salad made with eggs and then fruit like pineapples, coconut, mandarin oranges, and marshmallow cream. I'm missing the frog eye. So frog eye? who knows? It's also covered in marshmallow cream. It I, feels like you're having frog eye. I also think slimy. there's maraschino cherries in there, uh, which would resemble the frog eye. Maybe it's just 
tastes so bad that you wish you were eating frog eyes <laughs> instead. I'm not going to lie. I'm really happy I live in Massachusetts because this food sounds squash Massachusetts. Right, and I was looking at the New England ones. I'm a huge pumpkin fan, and you have pumpkin whoopie pie, um, all kinds of pumpkin dishes in the New England area that I thought looked fantastic. Yeah, and as it <clears throat> pertains, excuse me, to Squashachusetts, here's my history nerd coming out. Um, as we said before, you know, really Thanksgiving is a celebration of having enough to eat. We know squash is indigenous to Massachusetts, and we know that natives taught uh, pilgrims how to cook, uh, grow these dishes. Well, there's something that the natives had for hundreds of years before the pilgrims came called this, the Three Sisters. This is a mix of beans, corn, and squash, who all these plants use different nutrients from the soil, and they grow very well together. Uh, another thing that Native Americans did was they put a fish head, an eggshell, and a little bit of um, birch bark into the ground when they planted these plants, and that has calcium and acetosalicylic acid for vascularity of plants. And also the fish head serves as a fertilizer. And even modern day, when I do my gardening, I use something called King Neptune's fish emulsion. So shout out to Native Americans for having it figured out that fish fertilizes vegetables incredibly well. I think the, to your point, Mr. DeCosmo, you can see a lot of history actually in these foods because if you look at the southern United States, parts that used to be part of Mexico, for example, you'll see kind of Mexican cuisine influencing those choices. So you have um, in New Mexico, turkey enchilada. I'm sorry, in Arizona, turkey enchiladas, sopapilla cheesecake in Oklahoma and Texas. So you kind of see that influence as well. And I think that it's both regional, but it's also rich in history how these foods develop that we like to enjoy. I should also compliment Mr. DeCosmo on his green thumb because a lot of the things he just talked about, I never have you know attempted to grow a lot of food myself. And, you know, first, last episode, we learned you were a soap maker, and now we know you're a green thumb as well. And for the record, he recommended that fish fertilizer to me, and I got my best tomatoes ever this year. Fantastic. Those of you that don't know, uh, when I first started gardening, you think like, yeah, we put the seeds and we come back in three months and we have tomatoes. Nope. It's you have to put in tons of effort and you have to understand what you're doing. I think because we get all our food from the grocery store and we have all these fine fruits and vegetables and it's a cornucopia of colors. I think that we lose sight of the fact that vegetables are hard to grow. No joke. And so it's safe to say that the pilgrims didn't really entirely know what they were doing, which brings us to one of the other things we wanted to talk about, which is the role that a character some of you may have heard of, Squanto, played in um, the success of the 1621 harvest. Um, he's, he's a character elementary school students probably learn about and others have heard about. And I know some of us had a few notes they wanted to share about Squanto's role in the first Thanksgiving. So my, both of my kids who are in school came back telling me about how Squanto helped the pilgrims. And so I dug a little deeper and did some research on why it was he was the one helping the pilgrims. And it was because he could speak, speak English. And so um, if you look up any, any uh, resources as to why he could speak English, he had been kidnapped and sold into slavery in Europe, where he then spent a lot of time moving around Europe trying to get back to North America to be where his tribe was. When he returned to North America where his tribe was, um, by Rhode Island, he, he found that the tribe had been uh, totally decimated by disease, and he was the only member left. 
So he was there and he could speak English. And so he served as um, a, a help for the pilgrims who could also speak English. And this was why he was the one who was helping them all the time. Yeah, and on Miss Turner's point, from what I understand, he spoke English pretty well. So it always blew my mind uh, when I was learning about this that you have 100 people or so leaving from England. They travel 3,000 miles to land at a place they've never been, covered with indigenous tribes. And you show up and you're like, geez, you know, like nobody here is going to speak English. And then Squanto comes out and he's like, oh, I speak English. Like, what about the luck of that? Like, very few indigenous people, very few would have spoken English and they find the guy. It's like... One of those things about history that was very surprising to me. I agree, Mr. DeCosmo. It was a, a stroke of historical luck that they were able to find Squanto. And, and fun fact about Squanto, um, even though he was a member of the Patuxet tribe, he spoke one of the languages from the Algonquin family of languages. Many people believe that Algonquin is actually a tribe, and it's not. It's a language. So um, our school bears the name of that family of languages, and that was the indigenous language that Squanto spoke. Um, and then he added the English due to his, his circumstances. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's interesting. I can't remember the name of the tribe. Did you say the Patuxet? So I'm assuming this is where Patuxet? Comes I from? believe so. And the Paul's That's the Paul's origin. Yep. So there's tons Worcester, and tons Red of areas. Sox, They're the Woosocks. Oh, Woosocks. Move in. <laughs> there's a lot of areas around here named after Native Americans. What I think is interesting listening to all of this, though, is that as we talked earlier about it being a celebration, Thanksgiving is also kind of the story where slavery and survival and persecution and desperation all come together. And it's interesting that what comes out of those stories is a holiday that celebrates thankfulness. Well, well, I think that that's a really good point. And it, it gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit about how it became a national holiday because there really is a quite a process here about how it goes from kind of a story that, uh, you know, different parts of the country may approach differently. I know there's uh, places in Virginia that believe the quote-unquote first Thanksgiving was there. Uh, but then it becomes kind of consolidated and becomes a national, uh, a national story. In 1789, George Washington, at the request of a number of members of Congress at the time, first president, first Congress, uh, declared a proclamation of Thanksgiving. And I, I think, and I don't want to get make this too boring, but I think it actually might be interesting if I would just read a paragraph of his proclamation because – the way he describes um, the importance of this day, I think, is very interesting. He says, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, do I recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the benef beneficent author of all the good th that was, that is, and that will be. I I'm, I'm struck by the religious nature of that. It almost sounds like a sermon. Um, I, I don't think that would necessarily be uncharacteristic for the time. 
Um, but, it, you know, Thanksgiving is seen as a non-religious holiday, which, you know, there's not really any sort of official religious affiliation. But uh, let's not overlook the fact that George Washington, when his proclamation really made it to be something about giving thanks to God. And that's, you know, obviously he's not the only president who's ever done that in any different circumstances. But if you also think back to his farewell address, where he thought that religion and morality were necessary supports to a uh, prosperous republic, it's not surprising that he would include this in such a proclamation. Did you want to add something to this, Ms. Burns? Well, a different perspective. We've talked about this kind of celebratory aspect to Thanksgiving. Um, and Washington, and then, of course, later Lincoln has have proclamations about Thanksgiving, I think it's interesting to note kind of some of the modern day interpretations of this. So in actually 1970, the Native American Council of New England, I think it's actually called the United American Indians of New England, founded what they call the National Day of Mourning. And this is an annual gathering that they have every day. It begins at noon on Thanksgiving Day, um, where they gather to kind of protest basically what was done to Native Americans through this history. And they use Thanksgiving and I think all of the imagery that we've talked about as an example of the exploitation um, that has happened to Native peoples. And there's another group that gathers in the West Coast. They call it the Unthanksgiving Day. Um, but it's interesting to think about the complicated history, right, and to consider the perspective of our first president and later presidents, um, as well as Native peoples, and what that history means, how it has different meanings for different people. And, and that's not to take away, I think that's a really, really important thing, the complexity of everything that we study in history. It's not to take away the joy, hopefully, that we all experience when we celebrate Thanksgiving and the importance of the symbolism symbolism of coming together as well as the literal coming together. I mean, that's what Lincoln's proclamation was about in 1863. Mm -hmm. um, it was really about trying to, I mean, obviously it, it, he didn't think it was going to end the Civil War, but, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a gesture of unity. Uh, his proclamation did talk about how all parts of the country should should give thanks and come together and celebrate. Um, and, and certainly that, I think, is an important message of this day, and we can remember the complex history surrounding it and how it may be viewed differently by different people. And in the modern era, of course, it's taken on a, a life of its own. There's a whole bunch of stuff that go, has gone on in the 20th century and traditions and, and fun that's gone along with it, and I know that that might be worth talking about. It might be a little more lighthearted and enjoyable for some of our listeners to learn a little bit about some of the traditions that you might be familiar with in your own lives. I am a fan of the meal and the family time, love spending time with my family, but my absolute favorite part of Thanksgiving Day is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I Why love is that? I just really enjoy the tradition of it, and I looked up a little more information about the parade, and Macy's started the parade in 1924 when they expanded their retail space in, in New York to cover one million square feet. Um, it was an entire city block stretching from Broadway to 7th Avenue and to sort of entice people to go shopping for the Christmas season. They thought, what the heck, we'll throw New York a parade. So they had floats, um, they had people who worked at Macy's dressed up like clowns and toy soldiers, and they actually borrowed animals from the Central Park Zoo and marched the animals and the people and the floats down six miles worth of parade route. Um, and that was the 
first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and it has now taken on a life of its own. It wasn't meant really to celebrate Thanksgiving, but it was. It is now associated with Thanksgiving. Um, people were most annoyed by the animals who did not appreciate being marched around in the cold um, for six miles. They roared and made a lot of noises, so they switched out the animals for the large balloons um, that we associate with the parade today. And fun fact, after the parade, they used to let those giant balloons go, and they would go wherever <laughs> they wanted to. Oh and if Contributing you, to the garbage. You know, yes. Where but did if they you, end up? I don't know, but if you found one, you won a gift certificate to Macy's. So it became an intense competition that, in addition to the environmental issues of just letting the balloons go, um, the competition to find them caused them to have to stop that tradition. So, <laughs> At what point do you think the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade will be re- renamed the Amazon Thanksgiving Day Parade? Does anybody think that's in our future here? Right after Lord Bezos completes his takeover of the entire planet, I would say. If anyone working at Amazon is listening to this, we're just kidding. We're totally just kidding. Also, if you work at Macy's, we're kidding. Um, For now. To, might have to cut this part out. Um, but there are some other modern traditions. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know, traditions or just curiosities. Um, it, it's pretty frequent. You'll probably see it on the news this this weekend uh, that the president of the United States is going to officially, if that's the right word to use, pardon. I think it happened this morning. It happened this morning? He I'm already sure. pardoned? I'm, what, I think so. What, okay. I missed it. I missed it. Well, obviously, it wasn't as big of a story as I thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, the president for a number of years now has has had um, a, I guess you call it a event, where two turkeys that have been donated to the White House from a local turkey farm are given a presidential pardon, and they live out their lives. Inside the White House. No. <laughs> no. I don't think so. There, there was a really great movie about that. I think it's called Free Birds, if anyone's looking for a little Thanksgiving watch. Also a great Leonard Skinner song. <laughs> uh, that's a tradition that uh, apparently, you know, there's a little bit of uh, confusion about when it started. The, um, uh, I suppose, um, some people think that it started during Harry Truman's administration when during the uh, 1940s um, there was a push to have uh, poultryless Thursdays and uh, there was a lot of outrage from people involved in the poultry um, the poultry industry and they uh, started uh, sending um, gifts um, hens for Harry uh, to the White House in protest. As a side note on that, uh, Mr. Kellett mentions Harry Truman. This is you know right about the time frame, right after World War II, right after FDR. Uh, FDR is famous for freedom speech. They have freedom from want. And the famous Norman Rockwell painting symbolizing the freedom from want is a giant turkey being placed on a Thanksgiving table. It's a great painting, uh, that one in particular. I think I think that um, it it... It kind of sums up what the iconic sort of idea, right? Norman Rockwell is trying to represent an ideal in a painting, and that's what he's like. How am I going to represent how people view Thanksgiving and happiness while it's a family having a turkey? Can we just imagine for a minute, though, crates of chickens and turkeys being delivered to the president of the United States at the White House, right? Well, the big issue, Ms. Burns, was that that year when Truman and the government were attempting to promote poultryless Thursdays was that 
Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day all fell on Thursdays. Um, so the big three of turkey holidays would have been turkeyless, and people were not having it. I I can see why. That's a major cultural shift. Um, you know, so a lot of the tradition of giving gifts to the to the to the White House by the poultry industry continued, um, and uh, 1980s is when the uh, official, you know, sort of pardoning of the turkey kind of gained steam. Uh, in 1989, uh, George H. W. Bush, uh, while he was kind of um, going through this um, this this little silly little pardoning e- exercise. Uh, with an animal rights activist nearby said, let me assure you this fine Tom Turkey that he will not end up on anyone's dinner table, not this guy. He's granted a presidential pardon as of right now and allow him to live out his days on a children's farm not far from here. Uh, Just for the record, I do teach government and politics. There is no actual official mechanism for pardoning um, turkeys. This is just, I guess, for fun or amusement. When they pardon the turkey, do they just wing it? (laughs) <laughs> gobble gobble <laughs> um we have one more topic we'd like to cover and uh that's football there's only a- one person for this topic hello hey mr mckay how you doing i'm good i was just been enjoying this historical conversation and trying to learn as much as i can about thanksgiving from you guys well, you know, I appreciate that. In fact, I, I would second the point is that a lot of the things that our co-hosts uh, here have brought up are things that I wasn't – I mean, I spoke about things I was comfortable speaking about with. I think we all learn from one another, and I hope that the people who are listening to this can learn from all of us together because I think it's a great um, a great way to just kind of um, – you know, hear hear the voices of, of a number of teachers in the same place. Even us as educators can learn. And I felt like today I sat back and I wanted to hear some of the stories and some of the ideas. And I walked away just overwhelmed with the amount of information you guys are talking about. So I feel very excited. I can't wait to go home and listen to the podcast. Download, share, like it on SoundCloud, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Yeah, we're going to be famous. But uh, there's one topic that I am not an expert on. Uh, but it's a big part of Thanksgiving, and I think a lot of people would uh, would agree that it's a big part of Thanksgiving. For whatever reason, after the meal, um, I uh, usually I, – well, I help clean up, obviously, uh, but then I, I kind of migrate over to a couch or a recliner of some sort and put on a Detroit Lions football game. And I'm not a Detroit Lions fan, and yet every single year they play the Thanksgiving Day football game. Yeah, you know, football is an interesting sport when it comes to the tradition of Thanksgiving. I think if you ask people what they thought of of Thanksgiving, football would be something that would come to their minds, particularly here in Massachusetts or in this part of the country. Um, But, you know, speaking on what you said, you know, the Lions were one of the first teams to play on Thanksgiving, um, thanks to the foundation that was established um, by the people in the NFL in in 1934, it looks like here. Um, They took on on the Chicago Bears in their first matchup on Thanksgiving. And, And typically when you watch on Thanksgiving, you see that, you know, Thanksgiving football, I think, represents a lot of tradition and heritage in this part of the country. Yeah, I think that's interesting, Mr. McKay. You know, I was uh, taking a look at the NFL uh, Hall of Fame website, and they talk a little bit about the Thanksgiving game. 
and how it became a Detroit Lions game. I was watching. I mean, the Lions are just perennially a bad team, and I'm like, why do we keep? Am I, am I right about that? That seems to be my memory. I mean, early in in their history, they were a much better team than they are now. Uh, but now it's they are perennially. I a mean, bad I can't team. remember a year when the Lions were like a good team. Now, who's their quarterback now, Mr. McKay? Uh, Matt Stafford. Like, is he? He's like overpaid and underperforming perennially. Am I right? Yeah, they just actually picked up the New England Patriots defensive coordinator as their head coach, and things have been a little Patricia, rocky. Yeah, right? Matt Patricia. Yeah, I, I don't know if you noticed, I have a pencil over my ear, just like Patricia. You, you look know. just like him with that beard. I don't want to look just like Matt Patricia. That's I'm sorry. You hear he that. shaved um, that beard though, right? The beard is gone. He did, and now it's growing back. So it, it, it shaved initially, and now it's kind of growing back. Because they're so. not doing well? Well, or, yeah, he's yeah. had a rough go of it. He's, it's kind of a, again, it gets back to the wooden teeth thing. It's a manly thing. You want to grow your beard <laughs> as much as you can. It makes it, you feel better? It's a sign of toughness, I think, when you the see beard. a beard. I have a, just beard. for the record, I have a beard. Uh, you know, and so does Mr. McCain, Mr. Cosmos. A lot of- I do not. I don't either. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I grew this beard about a year a year ago, and I have to say, my toughness has increased exponentially. I've noticed. I've noticed the toughness. Yeah, in the hallways, and Mr. McKay, uh, Mr. DeCosmo, and Mr. McKay both really they're they're really just you know laying down the law, no shenanigans going on out uh, you know in the hallways. I mean, the beard it just says. We're all business. Yeah. No fun, all business. <laughs> well, Anybody who knows me knows I am strictly business. Speaking of business, you know, the NFL is a business. You guys know that, and they're out there to make money. And um, the Detroit Lions were actually a team that moved from um, Portsmouth, Ohio. They were the Portsmouth, Ohio Spartans. They moved to Detroit. And in 1934, the head of the Lions, they wanted to get a little drum up a little support for the team, get a little more publicity. So they thought, well, you know what? Let's have our football game on, on Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, that's been a, ever since then. They just every year they, they've scheduled their game. Uh, People have been falling asleep to it ever since. Yes. It's called the turkey. Um, and, except from the Pats play the Lions, which happens every once in a blue moon. The Pats will play the Lions on Thanksgiving. Go Pats. Um, but, you know, Thanksgiving and football is not just an NFL thing. Am I right about that, Mr. McKay? Yeah, it's a community thing. I mean, particularly here in Massachusetts, uh, it's such a big community thing. We uh, are one of the few states in the United States of America that have high school football on Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and every year, it encompasses more than just the football team. It encompasses the entire school. You have cheerleaders. You have bands. You have communities coming together to celebrate alumni. Often you see, um, you know, often alumni gatherings this weekend, right around this time. So it's a great time for your community to come back together. And I think that's one of the reasons why football or just the idea of a gathering like this gives people an opportunity to come back and celebrate what their community means. And it's it's why it's so special here in Massachusetts. Uh, it's not like this across the country. Many states don't have um, high school football on Thanksgiving. Their season starts really earlier. And actually, high school football in Massachusetts on Thanksgiving is being challenged by some people because of the way that the system is set up. And that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. But realistically, um, it's... It's a lot of heritage behind it. You know, just our school that we work at, um, Algonquin Regional High School, is playing Westboro for the 60th Thanksgiving this year. Um, so, I mean, that's 60 years of, of games between the two towns where it really means something. Uh, one of the longest rivalries in the state of Massachusetts, um, Lemonster and Fitchburg, uh, has, are playing their 113th Thanksgiving Yikes. matchup this 113 year. 113 years? So it started in 1905? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good fast math there. What's up? No editing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 113 years. It's the 113th Thanksgiving matchup um, between the two schools. They played 137 times overall. Um, And it's it's interesting how the communities kind of come together to celebrate these people. And, you know, no matter if you like football or not, it's a representation of – 
representing your community and your people. And I think in, in earlier times, during times of war and things like that, this was used as a sign to represent, um, you know, celebration of athletes and people. But now it's it's everybody and it's a huge community. So football is my favorite tradition around Thanksgiving. But I want to talk to you guys. What about you? What is your favorite tradition or food or thing that you do on Thanksgiving that is special to you? Well, my favorite thing is that my daughter and I, every morning on Thanksgiving, we get up in our pajamas, we have cinnamon rolls for breakfast, and then we watch the parade followed by the dog show um, and start cooking and, and just being together as a family. That's my favorite part. I love making pies with my boys and many times my three nephews as well um, on the half day before Thanksgiving. We already know my love for the parade, all parts of the parade, even the lip-syncing Broadway show uh, numbers. I love that part, Mr. Kelly. (laughs) It's all lip-synced, all of the performances, but it's just about celebration. Um, But I also enjoy, as a family, we always go around the table and say one thing that we are thankful for. And uh, my son, who's three and a half, has started to participate. Um, And this year, he is thankful for his stuffed animals. He's already told me. He's practiced. So one of my favorites. That's fantastic. My, one of my, I mean, uh, leftovers. I mean, it's, it's a, a great sandwich. A, there's something about Thanksgiving. The, le- the, the meal's great, but leftovers can last for days. And Now, you know. Mr. Kelly, do you make the leftover sandwich? 100%. I mean, we, that's the uh, best. We get the cranberry sauce on the bread and the turkey. Mayo or no the, went mayo. Uh, do I need a mayo? Yes. Yes. Obviously. Oh, I'm a no mayo fan, but I do like Incorrect. a nice layer of stuffing right in the middle. 100%. Now, these things can be a, a little bit difficult to assemble. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's an important part of Thanksgiving is, is having a little bit of uh, second Thanksgiving on Thursday night and maybe Friday for lunch. Third or four. Yeah, keep third. it going. Yeah. Keep it going. What about you, Mr. DeCoy? Yeah, I'm with Mr. Kelly. It's like families are great and everything, but I'm all about the leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> okay? And I, I'm telling you as clearly as I tell my family every year, I'm like, I don't even care what you make. Just bring a lot. Because they send me home with this like little plate of leftovers. I'm talking about I want leftovers for like two or three days. That's my favorite thing is to have you something You want to have leftovers for so fridge. long that you get to the point where you're like, should I still be eating this? Yeah. I eat turkey like for one month a year from Thanksgiving till Christmas. <laughs> so I got to go hard on the turkey. Wow, a month. And then I just really don't much. even think about it until the next year. Respect. That's a lot of awkward leftover turkey there, though, you know, for a whole month, you know. Yeah, it can get a little bit dry probably after a while. Yeah, you got to start using it in all kinds of different rep- recipes, you know. That's true. That's true. And we know that uh, Mr. DeCosmo is is uh, he's a green thumb. He makes soap, so I can only imagine he he does a lot of good things with the with the cooking. I've been called Escoffier. Let's just leave it at that. That sounds like a great place to leave this podcast. <laughs> uh, so, a- any last words before we wrap up for the day? Just wishing everyone a happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for thanks for listening. Enjoy all your time and and relax and. Um, come back ready and recharged. Yes. And thanks for letting me crash this Thanksgiving podcast. You crash anytime, thanks for coming. Anytime. Uh, this is what it's all about. It's all about welcoming people in and talking about historical things uh, and other things. I'm just going to say one more time, like, download, subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, all your podcasting places. Hit us up. We're going to be famous. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>